Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. We're going to start out by thanking our lovely patrons. They donated over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This week we have Bonnie, Elizabeth, Wendy, Mark, Scott, Patricia, Aaron, Caroline, Chris, Amanda, Meg, Christy, Shannon, Chloe, Sydney, Danielle, Justina, Martin, Monica, and Alex. Thanks, guys. Geen. Geen, 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 geen. Uh, wow, Rachel. Uh, so let me just give a little uh, recap where we left off. Ed Gein is definitely now considered the town weirdo. He even is become has become the resident of the house that everyone is frightened of. He f- has fallen into a deeper interior world with very disturbing interest. His whole family, including his mother, his beloved mother, have died at this point. And local bar owner Mary Hogan has gone missing without a trace. So that's where we are right now. Now... On the morning of November 16th, 1957, Ed Gein got himself gussied up to run some errands. First, he stopped at the gas station before he went over to Warden's Hardware Store, which was right across the street and was owned and operated by Bernice Warden, a 58-year-old woman who was described as sturdily built. Her son, Frank, was also part of the business, but that morning, Bernice was all alone, and Ed knew that because all the local men were hunting that day, and Ed had inquired if Frank would be joining them just the day before. Now, you might remember Bernice as the woman Ed commented on in the previous episode, saying that she was looking nice and plump. This is so Buffalo Bill, because doesn't he say, (laughs) like, what are you, a size 12, 14? Well, yeah, (laughs) that's when I, like... My favorite lines in that movie for some reason because it's so demented. It's like, so chilling. Yeah. I mean, I've tried to say it to people sometimes and they don't know what I'm talking about. Like only the, only the, my true friends know what that line means. Like, that is such an underrated line. I, I always think of it or I always say it as if it's a very common reference. To, like it's just so that voice he has when he does it too. His voice is so scary. To me, that is the creepier line. That is creepier than, would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. Oh, totally. I mean, that, because it's so real. It's so real, and it's like you know exactly where he's going with it, and it's very creepy. Now, Ed told Bernice that day that he was looking for a new rifle, and she picked out her favorite rifle to look at. As her back was turned to fill out his receipt, he loaded rifle with ammo that he had brought with him in his pocket. So she's looking out the window at a car, and she says to him, I don't like Chevrolets. At that point, Ed shot her in the back of the head. So that's like her last words, a dunk on Chevrolets. Yeah. Now... By 5 p.m., Frank Warden returned from his hunting, and after speaking to the gas station attendant across the street from the store, he became kind of anxious. The attendant told him he saw the hardware truck driven off by an unidentified man that morning, and the shop was closed with the lights still on. 
When Frank entered the shop, he immediately noticed that the cash register was missing and there was a huge reddish-brown stain with a streak that smeared all the way to the back door. He knew it was blood. Frank was also a deputy sheriff, so he kind of knew how to handle the crime scene and remained pretty calm despite the fact that he was absolutely horrified at the idea of what had happened to his mother. He called the sheriff, and when they arrived, he immediately said he's done something to her. When they asked who, he said, Eddie Gein. So he, like, pretty much immediately knew. Now, he told the officers that Gein had been around bugging his mom recently to go to the movies and to go roller skating. Roller skating? Can you imagine Ed Gein roller skating with a 58-year-old woman? That's... Like, what a sight to see. (laughs) I would love to see that. (laughs) He also mentioned... The visit to the store the night before where Gein pretended to inquire about the cost of antifreeze and then also asked of Frank that that question like, hey, are you going hunting tomorrow morning? Like just a weird like, what are you doing tomorrow? Oh, you won't be here? Uh Uh-huh. Ed's not the most uh, stealth criminal. But the real receipt was actually a receipt that Bernice had started filling out for her last customer, the receipt before she got shot. Now, you got to wait till they finish filling out the receipt. (laughs) Or at least take the fucking receipt. The receipt had on it one item, antifreeze. Oh. So Frank was like, I mean, he was a sheriff, but I feel like even if you weren't a deputy sheriff, you might catch on to that one. Even we could figure that out. (laughs) Definitely. Now, the officers then went to look for Gein at his home, but it was empty because he was at his neighbor, the Hills House, who had invited him over for dinner, which they did frequently. He was eating pork chops and watching I Love Lucy. Now, this is quite a step up (laughs) from canned pork and beans. Absolutely. I think this is the only time he had meals that were not pork and beans. So cops were at the Hills house now. When they arrived, he was in the car with Bob Hill, one of the Hills' sons, to go to the hardware store to check out the warden crime scene. So they were on their way to go see what the hubbub was about uh, at that crime scene. Now, cops asked Ed to get out of the car so they could speak to him for a second. He got out pretty willingly. They asked him to give the details of his day, which he did. When they asked him to repeat the details of his day, it was different this time around, and they pointed that out. At that point, Ed said, I've been framed. Uh, Yeah. Cops were like, for what? And he said, well, she's dead, ain't she? And cops were like, she's dead. (laughs) (laughs) And then Ed was like, a double, double, double. Like, well, I heard people talking about like something had happened. So he tried to make it like, you know, it was like the rumors he had heard, but they knew they had their man, like something was suspicious here. Now, at this point, they are still trying to find Bernice, so they got two patrolmen to go search Gaines' house, a scary proposition even without the possibility of it being the site of a murder. So these two patrolmen show up to get Gaines' house, which, as we mentioned in last episode, is quite disgusting, and they only have a flashlight illuminating things. So they're like kicking around that fucking filth in a house that's completely dark, thinking they're you know, in the home of someone who possibly murdered someone. It has to be a pretty scary situation. (laughs) I mean, much like the climax to Silence of the Lambs. Absolutely. And they don't have the green goggles or whatever those are called. Night vision goggles. goggles. So at some point after going through the main house where they can literally see the filth everywhere, they enter something called the summer kitchen. Now, I looked this up. The summer kitchen was a separate area in houses back then where people could cook and not heat up the main house during the summer. So it was like this separate room, 
where you could do whatever. And I think they also used it for more gruesome cooking things that would stink up the house or I want butchering. A summer kitchen. I know. Doesn't that sound nice? Yeah. So they enter the summer kitchen, and as I mentioned before, it's pitch black. It's nighttime now. One of the officers feels something brush against his arm. Uh oh. Yeah. So he turns around and shines his light towards whatever it was that brushed him, and it illuminated a pretty ghastly sight. There in the beam of his flashlight dangled a large dead white carcass. I'm reading from the book now. It was hanging upside down by its feet. Its front had been split completely open, so its trunk was little more than a dark gaping hole. The carcass had been decapitated as though someone had sliced off the head for a trophy. The body had been butchered like a heifer or a dressed out deer, only it wasn't an animal. It was the body of a human being, an adult woman, Bernice Warden's body. Now I've seen this picture. Oh, you have? Well, when I was getting the images for our Instagram, I stumbled across it. You didn't post that one? (laughs) Did you notice that Instagram has like a a warning screen now for pictures that you have to click if it's sort of uh, whatever? I noticed that sometimes when people DM us. Oh, I noticed it on an image because it was like one of the cat rescues I follow or something. And they were like, don't click this. It's a surgery picture or whatever. Oh. Uh, and it's like a it's like a warning screen that you can click and see the picture. Oh, I always want to click. Oh, I I, I always, yeah. There's like within, that's how you get me to click. Even if, <laughs> even if I know it's going to upset me, I still click. I have no choice. Right. But it could be good for future things we might want to post, but not scare people's timelines. I find it interesting that you can't post naked pictures, but I could post that picture of a naked corpse. Even if the nipples are showing? Desi, that's I'm the sorry. whole point. <laughs> that's the whole point is that they don't, that Instagram does not give a shit if I'm posting a eviscerated corpse and, right. and decapitated. Right. As long as her nipples aren't showing. As long as her nipples aren't showing. God, no, uh, I wonder if you could post the nipple belt. I don't know. Because it seems like it's very breaking the rule. <laughs> but it's not attached to breasts. You know, we could test uh, Instagram's um, policies on that. So obviously this site is horrible to look at. Um, the men are literally like, my God, like just like choked with like emotion and like fright. They stumble out of this um, uh, summer kitchen. One of the men sinks to into the snow because it's snowy now at this point and vomits into the snow. Like they're literally sickened to that level. This is honestly such a dramatic search of this house. Just the fact that they didn't wait till the morning. That yeah. They, that they're doing it in pitch black. This guy doesn't own any uh, lamps. There's no electricity in the house. Well, I mean, so, he doesn't own any electric lamps. Yeah. Uh, and, and the fact that it's snowing outside, this is a very dramatic scene. Well, and the the way she's hung, like there's like this piece of wood that's holding her up by her ankles and it's literally like shoved through her ankles. Like one of them is tied to it and one of them literally has this piece of wood poking through her ankle. Like, ugh, I mean, it's just so gruesome. Now, as we mentioned, the whole house is equally chaotic. Um, people talked about that just the decor is sort of a, a sign of his mental derangement. It quickly becomes apparent to the cops that as they're looking through this house, that it's like hard to even imagine anyone living in such a fucking filthy and debris filled house. Like the floors are literally as if he never threw a piece of garbage out. He just left it on the floor and it piles up daily. So they start finding things throughout the house, including 
things that in, in a normal house would be the grossest thing in your house, including the can full of the used chewing gum. I also heard in another thing or saw in another thing that I read that there was like a collection of, I'm going to vomit just saying it, boogers. Ew. Like he also had a booger collection. Where, I know. <laughs> wait, how did he display the boogers? I think they were all on the bedpost or something. Ew. Like. I know it's really repulsive. He also had um, cracked and yellow dentures displayed on the shelf, like Fabergé eggs. The wash basin was full of sand. Um, obviously, these are just disgusting, filthy things. But then they started finding more um, ghoulish things. There was funny-looking soup bowls. One of the officers saw sitting on the kitchen table. He picked it up for closer inspection. The soup bowl turned out to be the sawed-off top of a human skull. Now, one of the chairs by the kitchen table had a really weird look to it. When one of the officers bent down to examine that, he discovered that the woven cane seat had been replaced by smooth strips of human skin. The underside was lumpy with fat. Four chairs were found with that seat replacement um, on them. He made a whole set. Yeah. Now, according to the book, these grotesque furnishings were not only evidence in Gein's insane handiwork. Indeed, as the investigators quickly discovered, his farm functioned not as a, just as a human slaughterhouse, but as the workshop of a fiend. His diseased imagination fed by accounts of Ilsa Koch and her human skin artifacts. He had begun doing pretty similar things to Ilsa Koch, who I mentioned in the last episode as being... Um, the bitch of Buchenwald. What, right? book, what book are we reading again? Deviant. It's called Deviant? Yeah. So this is like the number one book about Ed Gein. You can get it on wherever books are sold. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Desi. Uh, so obviously these guys are poking around this house and everything they find is more and more horrible. There's various things made of human skin, including lampshades, bracelets, a wastebasket, a tom-tom drong, and drum and the sheath of a hunting knife. They find a, as Rachel mentioned, a belt fashioned out of female nipples and a shade pool decorated with a pair of women's lips. Now, these lips, there was one like on the bottom and one on the top. And then when you pulled them together, they kissed. Oh, that's creative. Now, the lips also had lipstick on them. He put like colored lipstick on them. Uh, in the in the dark, they also, I mean, pe- people now are gathering outside as well. Newsmen are coming. Uh, the police are obviously keeping them out and blocking the house. Uh, they did say that the body was found, but they didn't say what state it was in or anything like that. But reporters could kind of tell, like, something else is going on here. Like, this isn't just the average murder scene investigation. One of the sheriffs that was the one who found Bernice, Sheriff Schley, he said that the situation was just too horrible, horrible beyond belief. And they continued basically working into the night. Now, a portable generator was also finally brought in. So flood lamps were kind of like lighting up the scene now as well, which definitely helped because uh, these cops were dealing with it. They were like finding shit that was like beyond at this point. I mean, this is a real scavenger hunt too. Absolutely. And once... Once you find something horrific, now you have to assume that everything could be a body part. Like, well, you take a one closer look at something and you're like, oh my God, that's eyebrows. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, Alan Wilamowski, who was the crime lab specialist there, he picked up an old shoebox, glanced inside, and realized with a start, as inconceivable as it seemed, he had just discovered a collection of female genitalia. Now, this is a box full of nine vulvas, 
Most were dried and shriveled, though one had been daubed with silver paint and trimmed with a red ribbon. Another one that that was sort of on top seemed fresh. It consisted of a portion of Mons Veneris. I don't know which part that is. I'm sorry. (laughs) With the vagina and anus still attached. Looking closely at the specimen, he noticed that small crystals were clinging to the surface of this um, vulva. That was salt. Wait. How was the anus still attached? I'm guessing it was just the skin and there was a whole looking thing in between. I want to see what this looks like, but I don't. That's but like pretty I, much this this case. Like every picture I want to see. But I'm all good. Yeah. But I like, would like to see a diagram, like a drawing of what oh, that looks like. Like nice, clean drawings. Yes. Yeah. I know. Even the vulvas, it's kind of hard. To, like, Does it keep its shape? Do you know I, what I mean? Like, Well, I imagine both lips would like... I just don't understand how the lips stay together. I, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it makes sense, like if you see it, <laughs> but I don't know if I want to see it. No. So yeah, the last one he found had been sprinkled with salt as some kind of crude preservative. I'm assuming. So was he making jerky? <laughs> I guess he's just trying to keep them fresh, right? Yeah, come on, Rachel. Now, <laughs> that's how you do it. This is a very Swedish preparation. Yes. They're salting it. Absolutely. Now, there was another box that contained four human noses, and there was a cardboard Quaker Oats container filled with just scraps of human head, basically. Quaker Oats. <laughs> more, more, more bad press for Quaker Oats. <laughs> Uh, so he had creations though. They weren't just body parts that he had. He was making shit. There were several pairs of skin putties, which are leggings made from actual human legs. I guess they used to call them putties. Putties? I never heard it. Wait, leggings made from the skin of human legs. Yeah. Now the the OG leggings. (laughs) I'm saying Ed Gein invented leather leggings. Pleather. No, no, these but they are were leather. Real leather. Yeah, yeah they, they were. Ed Gein, I'm going on record. Ed Gein invented le- leather leggings. Okay. Which are very expensive. Very. Uh, he also had the upper torso of a middle aged woman that he had made into kind of a vest. He had skinned the top part of her body with the breast included, tanned it, and attached a cord to it so it could be donned as like a wearable vest. I think that they called that the mammary vest in some of the other like books and articles that I read. It was that's how it was referred to. Uh, the most shocking thing they found, although all of this seems pretty shocking, was his mask collection. Now these masks were human facial skins that had been painstakingly peeled from the skull of nine different women. They had no eyes, just like holes where they were left, and the hair was usually still attached to the scalps. A few of the masks looked um, dried out, kind of mummified, and others seemed more preserved. So some of them had been treated with oil as well, and some of them had lipstick on their mouths and looked quite lifelike. That's very... uh, very Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, yeah. The mouth with the lipstick. Well, and the hair attached to it, that's very Halloween. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, these were identifiable, these masks. Like, if you knew who the woman was, you could probably identify her. Ed Gein was kind of an expert craftsman. Now, I have to say that if he had just found a, a healthier outlet, he would have been quite the little seamstress. I mean, he's upcycling. Well, too, yes, right? <laughs> he is upcycling technically, but I mean, he, you know what, if this had gone, if he had had it, if things had gone a different way for Ed Gein, he could have, you know, yeah. been a, a atelier, atelier. <laughs> oh, Rachel. 
<laughs> now, four of these face skins had been stuffed with paper and hung on the wall. If you might remember in the last episode, there were kids who claimed to have seen shrunken heads. Those were actually real heads that he created. They were not, as he said, uh, gifts from a, a cousin who went to the Philippines during the war. So these children, when he they came over. Yeah. They, they, they came them. over. They saw what he claimed were shrunken heads, but those were real but he made things them. that he created. Yes. Now, one of the officers found a brown paper sack, and he uh, got his flashlight and decided he was going to look in it. He saw a, another sort of lump of skin with dry hair attached to it. At that moment, he decided he was going to pull whatever was in that bag out. And when he did, he said, oh, my God, it's Mary Hogan. <gasps> so he discovered the remains of Mary Hogan, and that three-year-old mystery was solved. But hundreds of other mysteries remained, uh, namely what the fuck <laughs> happened in this house. So now this is three years after Mary Hogan, yes. the bartender, yep. went missing. This is three years later. So she's finally found in a bag, basically, her skin in a mask just kind of sitting in there, but recognizable still, which is kind of amazing to me. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. 
Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals. And during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost on top of Big Give Week cashback rates. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. Now, after they find all of these horrible discoveries, they go upstairs and they discover something that's almost more chilling, and that is undoing the boarded up rooms that Ed Gein had. Remember in the last episode, I said he had left these rooms pristine. So the cops like unboarded these rooms and just saw these basically museum altar type pieces left his mom's room, which was almost creepier after being in all this soot and disgusting you know, body parts and like filth everywhere. There was these pristine rooms that they kind of found haunting. They also eventually um, found Bernice's head that had already been made into art by Ed. He had put two nails into her ears and connected them by twine around the back so he could hang the head. It was the head, not the skin. No, this was her complete head. Because remember, she was beheaded when they found her hanging. But he didn't, I mean, he didn't peel the skin off. So this was like an ornament. Yeah, he was going to hang this, I guess. He pretty much already made this hanging attachment for the head, the full head. Now, the next day, the murder of Bernice was obviously front page news in Plainfield. But something seemed a bit out of the ordinary um, for these people. Because they just knew about the murder at this point, the townspeople. Investigators, though, were coming from Chicago. So people were like, wait, what's going on here? Why is this happening? Rumors started swirling about what was going on at the farm. All people knew for sure at this point was Ed was in jail for Bernice's murder. Frank Warden, Bernice's son, who I mentioned earlier, was also in on the investigation. And he gave a single statement. He said, it's a case that will shock the state of Wisconsin. Now, I went over some of the stuff we uh, had, they had found in it. I'm going to go over this list just in case I missed any of the things. There was a wastebasket made of human skin, skulls on Ed's bedpost, female skulls with the top sewn off, bowls were made from those human skulls. There was a corset made from a female torso, skin from the shoulders to the waist, leggings made from human skin. There was a young girl's dress and vulvas of two females judged to be around the age of 15 years old. There was the belt made of nipples, four noses, a pair of lips on the window shade, a lampshade made from the skin of a human, and fingernails from female fingers, um, amongst other things. Just like a completely ghoulish list of things. Like Anything you'd want to make out of a human body, he made it. He did it. Now, on the Monday after the murder... Gein finally broke his 30-hour silence. He confessed to the murder of Bernice, but said that he was in a daze when it happened. The interviewer asked if he had planned on eating her, and Ed was kind of evasive. He said her murder was an aberration. He didn't intend to kill her and was also evasive about killing anyone else. 
One thing he was very clear about, however, was that all the other body parts were not from murder victims. When the detective asked him where they came from, he answered bluntly, from graveyards. So this is the first time they realized that this is not... Uh, mur- uh, they assumed this was all murder victims when right. they're, they're like uncovering this stuff, but nope. He tells investigators that between 1947 and 1952, he made as many as 40 nighttime visits to three local graveyards to exhume recently buried bodies while he was in this daze-like state that he constantly refers to when he's doing something like this. On about 30 of those visits, he say, he said that he kind of came to while in the cemetery and he left the graves like in good, good order. He described it as being an apple pie order. Like, you know, I put the dirt back. Everything was in apple pie order. Uh, he often would dig up the graves of recently buried middle-aged women that he read about in the obituaries. Some of these women he even knew. So if it was like a woman who was like a big old stocky older woman, that was like his thing he wanted to go after. He had his newspaper spread out with the red pen circled, yeah. circled around the obituary. Yeah. So if they resembled his mother, those are the ones he took home and he would tan their skins to make this memorabilia, not memorabilia, paraphernalia. So it sounds like he experimented with a lot of different techniques to preserve these items. I don't think he really knew what he was doing because he wasn't a hunter, like like everyone in the town hunting. But he like, from what I read, like he was sort of squeamish about blood, believe it or not, and like did not like hunting or doing any of that kind of stuff, which I get is bizarre. So I don't know that he knew a lot of things that those guys might have known, like dealing with uh, animal carcasses. Uh, So I have no idea, but he had a ton of books. He had like a Grey's Anatomy book, like he had tons of anatomy books. So I think he did a lot of research and I think a lot of people think that he is not that bright, but he actually tested pretty average and he was like a real reader. Like he read a ton. So he had really huge reading comprehension skills, et cetera. So I do think he was sort of self-taught. Right. (laughs) Now, as the crime scene was being investigated, evidence was removed. Reporters were finally like sort of led into this house of hell to take pictures and report on what they see they saw. One of the articles in particular that gained notoriety because of its descriptions was titled Incredibly Dirty House Was the Home of Slayer. This was by a reporter from the Milwaukee Journal named Robert Wells, and he uh, was one of the big names to be let in to kind of report on this scene. So one of the things that people, I guess, like is a weird word, but enjoyed about this article was how he really evoked this like dichotomy that was going on in his house. Some of the things he talks about in the piece were there would be a picture of Christ gazing skyward at an angel hanging on the wall next to an eyeless face of a female corpse on the other wall. There would be a stack of children's books with titles like Dorothy Dale, A Girl of Today, and on the table alongside that would be a book on embalming. There was um, a pile of Cracker Jack prizes like plastic whistles, toy airplanes, and that would be on the same shelf as a section of a human skull. So he's just like presenting all these like, you know. I mean, if this if this scene was in a horror movie, you'd be like, this is too on the nose. This is yeah. too hack. Yeah. So he just also ended this piece with what people thought was a very like, I don't know if poignant is the right word, sort of um, take on Ed Gein. He said, the little man who lived here amid his mad collections in a state of disorder that few of the animals who were his closest neighbors would have tolerate, tolerated 
had most um, of the doors and windows sealed with heavy tar paper or thick, dirty drapes. Inside the decaying house, the four rooms which he used were so filled with junk that even so slight a man as Gein must have had difficulty moving about. There was plenty of space that could have been his for the taking, however, the nearly empty upstairs with its five uncluttered rooms and the two downstairs rooms which he had sealed up securely and dedicated to the dead past when Ed Gein was not alone in the world. Wow. Isn't that sad? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And that seems very accurate to me. Like, this is a man who lost everything he knew in a very short period of time and is now just trying to get through it I mean, this in is, a really awful this way. This is a supremely demented, fucked up man. Oh, yeah. Now, with just the reporters sort of descending on this town now more and more, more stories started coming out with people giving their own stories of brushed with a killer like we did in our mini. Like, the, they had Ed Gain people doing this all the time. Now, some of these stories are <laughs> very chilling and who knows the accuracy of them, but I'm going to go through them anyway. Uh, so... The guy I mentioned before, his report, he said to reporters who spent the last week in the neighborhood, it has sometimes seemed that everyone they met had a tale to tell of how Ed peered in their bedroom window on some bygone night or how he sneaked around in tennis shoes, uh, startling women. Now, most of the stories were from women talking about their creepy encounters with Ed Gein. One of them is Effie Banks. She was the wife of one of Ed's neighbors. She told a reporter for Life magazine that shortly after Ed's mother died, Um, one of her daughters kept hearing rustling noises outside the house at night. Her parents thought she was imagining things. One afternoon, Gein knocked on the door and asked if he could come in. He said he might want to build a house and wanted to get a look at ours, Mrs. Bank explained. Nobody else was here, and for some reason, I decided not to let him in. I guess I can thank my lucky stars for that. Now, Ed Gein was not someone who was looking for victims. Right. As we know, like, so I don't think these women were in danger. Another one of them recalled that Ed had sort of been hanging around the house after working with her husband on a job. She was in the midst of setting the table for dinner. All of a sudden, she had a funny feeling. And when she turned around, Ed was standing behind her with a big kitchen knife in his hand. She jumped sky high, but Ed said to her he had noticed a string hanging down from the back of her dress and was just trying to cut it off. Jesus. Now... That sounds like a believable story. Yes. Well, it sounds believable in that I truly think Ed Gein thought that he wasn't appearing alarming in that situation. Because he's so socially awkward. Yes. Uh, he didn't get the social cues. No, that, that you don't stand behind a woman. Even if there was a string, you wouldn't just cut it off without right. asking. I mean, it's crazy. But to him, he, that was totally innocent, probably. Right. Oh, my God. So... <laughs> There's another story about a young girl who was working at a bakery nearby. Uh, she said that Eddie came by on a shop on her shop like one Friday, the Friday before he murdered Bernice. The two were alone, and Eddie stepped behind the counter, touched her hair, and said, "You look like my mother." Uh oh. <laughs> Some other customers came in, and uh, he left. But once she realized what had happened, she broke down in hysterics. I mean, there's tons of stories that are along these lines. Like everyone had this story where he's with you know, holding a butcher knife uh, 
and he like they some of them are like I called him out. I was like, Ed, put down the butcher knife. Like, what are you doing? You're gonna scare somebody. Like those kind of things. So yeah, I mean, there's tons of people getting their like 15 minutes of fame with their connection to Ed Gein, and uh, the newspapers were eating it all up. Now another story that is definitely untrue in my opinion, but was a huge fucking story when it broke was uh, the headline was 300 pound man recalls pinch and remark by Gein. Now this this appeared in the Milwaukee Journal, and it was a man t- selling his story. He was a 300-pound barber who owned a farm near Ed Gein and said that Ed at some point came towards him and pinched him on the belly and said, you'd be just about right for roasting. Oh. <laughs> uh, as we all know, Gein was not a cannibal. Right. Like, that is a common misperception, and I think a lot of people made that leap. Yes. Uh, so this story just seems clearly untrue for me. Now, eventually, Gein admitted to stealing from nine graves from the local cemeteries, and uh, the the police didn't really believe him at first. They're like, yeah, right, these are murder victims. They actually investigated these graves, and they had to get permission from the families to dig them up. Horrific. Yeah. So basically, they went to these uh, graves, and he was able to give them details like, like I dug up this one, but I put the legs back because I didn't need them. Like one thing Gain would do would would be return body parts that he didn't use in oh some kind God. of weird, demented, not being like the ultimate. Uh, I grew up in the depression. Like we don't waste things or something. It, I just I just imagine being one of these poor family members and like, what do you do? Like it's not like you want to keep them. You want the body parts back in the grave, but you don't want to keep the mask that he made of your child or put it in there with. Right. Yeah, like. Yeah, like it's you have weird. to throw it out, right? I guess. I mean, this was a very traumatic experience for I mean, these families. I'm just obviously, saying, overall, yeah. but I'm uh, but I am curious about this dilemma about what happened to these body parts. I don't know. I mean, I don't have like a lot of. I don't know. I have no idea. I just know the whole town was in an uproar about this uh, digging up the graves. But the families did give permission, and basically, it proved that Gein was telling the truth. Like these bodies had been dug up. Uh, some of the police, the reason they didn't believe them was in it just not believing him because he seemed insane. But like, well, and he also did kill Mary Hogan. Yes, but and, it was also that he was so small. Like he was a very small man. Like not not like I think average height, but like like thin. Like saying they don't believe he could have dug. dug up six feet. But the bodies were actually not as deep as six feet, which helped. And he would get them when their dirt was fresh. Still right. Uh, because he would often go in right when they were buried. So um, some of them are only partially dug. There's some like way they do it. I don't know. So basically they're like, okay, yeah, this guy is telling the truth about digging up these bodies, which is not like as big a crime, obviously, as murder. Now, he did finally confess to Mary Hogan's murder, but he once again claimed he had hardly any memory of it. And he was in that trans-like state again during those moments. What about the Bernice? He's confessed to Bernice as well at this point. Um, And for both of them, he said he's in like a trance-like state and he doesn't really recall anything that happened. But uh, at this point, something else starts horrifying detectives even more. They realize now that Ed's purpose for those body parts outside of just this ghoulish collection, soon after his mother's death, Gein said that he began to create a woman's suit so that he could become his mother to literally crawl inside of her skin. 
So they hadn't quite put that part together yet. Now, how this came about is one of the investigators finally just asked him if he had ever used the skins as masks himself, like placing them over his face. And Ed said, I did that. That I did. Uh, He also asked him, like, did you secure it on your face with a cord? Did you wear it for a prolonged time? Uh, Ed said, not too long. I had other things to do. Um, the skin masks weren't the only things though that Ed actually wore. Like, I guess at that point they had just thought he made them, but he was wearing these things. He also said that he would wear the mammary vest with the leggings and crudely stitched together like fashion, um, and cover his penis with one of the preserved vulvas. Then he would sort of be covered top to bottom in this corpse costume. At that point, he would parade around his house in this woman's suit. And on warmer nights, he would go outside and dance under the moonlight wearing it. Wow. Can you imagine seeing that? Oh my God. What if you stumbled (laughs) upon that? You wouldn't even, because your brain wouldn't process that that was human parts. You'd be like, what is that? Also, if it was like, you knew it was like the weirdo guy. Yeah. What is the weirdo guy? (laughs) dancing outside like just alone that alone is disturbing (laughs) right totally just to see him out doing anything at midnight he also went into like other details about how he got ideas for certain things including the skulls using the skulls as bones he had read about that um that that was an old norwegian style of drinking mead so he had all these like historical references for why he did things and uh why he chose to preserve things he did mention the vulva that some of them would start to go green, even though Ugh. he tried to preserve them. Uh, and that's why he did use the silver paint on one of them I mentioned earlier. To cover it up? He thought that that might help preserve them, uh, I guess. Um, so an interesting thing about Gein is he would get very hungry during these confession sessions, and they would bring him things like apple pie with a slice of cheddar on the side. Cheddar? That's yeah. a thing. I, it is a thing. I've never had that before. I think we talked about it before and some at some point, I don't know if it was we on the show. We must have talked about this before yeah. because I, the first time I ever saw that on a menu, I was floored. Now, another funny detail is that one time he complained that the cheddar was too dry. <laughs> like they didn't melt it all the way. I have no idea. Like maybe the tre- cheese was dried out in the fridge. Oh, well, look, he's from Wisconsin. He knows his cheese. Absolutely. It's funny though that he's so picky, considering he lived off of beans for like. 10 years and or I'd whatever. And I have to imagine the place, not only the beans, but the body parts, you would think that that house probably stunk. Ugh, I mean, you'd think. How do you even have an appetite? Now, the story of Ed's mom obsession in the woman's seat, suit did leak. And obviously that created quite a fucking stir because this is late 50s. <laughs> like, this was just like, what? Like, right. I mean... It was like outrageous at the time. Newspaper articles were just being written like crazy about this, including a ton of theories about what was wrong with this guy. And a lot of them ended up veering towards this idea that he was some kind of sexual sadist who wanted to fuck all these corpses. Now, that's according to Gein, he never fucked any of those corpses. And I kind of believe that it wasn't a sexual thing for him. Well, he he thought of these corpses as an extension of his mother. Yes, and himself in a way. Yes. Like it was his new self, I think. He said that he did explain that he did not fuck these bodies, and he said they smelled too bad. Well, now he's finally being <laughs> rational. This is the a first moment of ra- clarity. This is the first moment of clarity this man has had. 
Now, he does get arraigned um, on November 21st, 1957 on first-degree murder. He pleads not guilty by reason of sanity. Insanity. Insanity, sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not guilty by reason of sanity. Because <laughs> it was say, I, got, I had to kill that guy, <laughs> like some woman. Um, so now, this is like one of the OG trials of the century. This this was like a huge deal. Everyone wanted, every newspaper was at this early like days of this, like hearings and stuff like that. Uh, he was like a celebrity. They all wanted to get an interview or a juicy quote from this madman. Like, but he was quite boring. I mean, what? And like, he's not saying anything interesting Ed Gein. I'm well, just saying he's not boring. Cause he did all this crazy shit, but he's not like a juicy interview. Like, unless it's the police. Right. He's not going to give an interview to the newspaper and be like, and then I did this. Like, one of those kind of, like, interviews. You don't think so? You think he would? I mean, I'm just listening to what you're reading from the book. Or what yeah. You said, learned. <laughs> well, I'm that's just, my thing. I'm just shocked. But I, I guess it makes sense because he wasn't, like you said, he wasn't a sadist. He wasn't trying. He wasn't necessarily like, oh, I'm going to say these outrageous things. Yeah, he wasn't that type of person. He was like a meek, quiet person outside of this obviously insane things that he did. I, I just feel like they, I feel like there was this idea of who he was, this sexual sadist, like, you know, charismatic something that just did not exist. Well, like I, like I was trying to say is like, he wasn't trying to get a rise out of the press. Like we see with, um, a lot of other, right. Like a Richard Ramirez or someone who yes. really liked the attention. Yes. Uh, this was not him. Now, another person very interested in this story during this initial trial is a writer named Robert Block, who I mentioned um, wrote Psycho based on this story alone. He was inspired by Ed. He started working on the story during the aftermath of like um, these revelations about Ed. And he started focusing in on a murder murderer who was obsessed with his mother. And he also figured out a way to make it work in the book because the character is obviously an introvert. He said that he would land his victims easily if he ran a small motel where the victims basically came to him. Now, so isn't, that's, it, isn't it wild that Psycho is like the more tame version than the reality of the yeah. situation, if you think about it? Yeah. I mean, I, I think when I realized that Psycho was based on a real story. Like, I don't remember how it happened, but I, w I remember thinking that it was so much wilder than, you know what I mean? Like, well, because they weren't really making movies that were like that, mainstream movies like that back then. No. I mean, Psycho must have been like wild. Well, when it, it came was out. when yeah. it came out because not only did they show it was the first time you ever saw a toilet flushing in a movie, right. that was scandalous. That's where we are in 1960. Yeah, 1960 but, is like early still. Well, yeah, and but Psycho was definitely like a very shocking movie when it came out. Because there was also a lot of sexuality in it too. Yes. Like they had that element. I actually saw there was a book called The Making of Psycho and I, I felt like that might be a good episode sometimes since Hitchcock did some pretty creepy and weird things. I would love to do a Hitchcock episode. Yeah. Uh, so that book might be something to keep in mind. But yeah, so now he is obviously pleading insanity. Uh, he goes undergoes psychological testing at a nearby hospital. And he's also, you know, given medical like evaluation for everything, basically. This guy's 51 years old at this time. As I, I said before, he he's pretty um, frail seeming, but physically he was very normal for a 51 year old. The one thing he had that was weird was he always said he smelled things like some funky smell. 
Now, let me get this straight. <laughs> he ha- clearly has a sensitive nose. This is further adding to my bewilderment that he lived in this stinky house. Now, when asked what he thought the smell was, he would say it smelled like flesh. So I think he was, he had a broken nose. (laughs) Like maybe he, maybe he smelled filth so, so much that when he was in a normal situation, he could still smell it. That's so odd because usually it's the opposite. I have no idea. You know, but like that if, was what if, he said. Like, like if you have a cat, you don't smell cat when you go into your own house. Right. Yeah, I have no idea. Now, the other revelations he gave in these interviews was that the reason he feels like he killed Mary and Bernice was that they were evil. Like there was, he had to kill them. Like I think I mentioned this a bit with Mary, that she was sort of the... Um, evil twin of his mom. Now, Bernice also had that vibe going for him. Uh, She was, as I mentioned, like an older woman, have you set? And he was very upset that she had stolen her husband from another woman. And then the woman that was, had her husband stolen eventually killed herself. (gasps) And Ed was in tears telling this story about what Bernice had done to this woman that he blamed her for. I mean, I'm not blaming her at all. This is Ed's version of it. I have no idea what the true story is, but that was his opinion that she, I, I feel like he had these intense, like, I hate this woman. I'm attracted to her. Like, do you know what I mean? Like this thing with both of these women, like this is the woman my mom said I should never be with, but I'm attracted to this woman. He just had these like conflicting feelings that were so insane and probably for his mom too. Like, Of course. Just a very messed up guy. Now he is eventually diagnosed with schizophrenia and he is found mentally incompetent to stand trial. So he gets sent to Central State Hospital for the criminally insane where they start dealing with his uh, problems. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Now, the Milwaukee Journal had a vote for Story of the Year. Well, how can you top this? Ed Gein, the Ed Gein case did win Story of the Year. I wonder what was up. I need to I know. can tell you what uh, it was up against, Rachel. It was uh, up against the Milwaukee Braves winning the World Series. They were the Braves at the time. The death of Senator Joe McCarthy, who you might remember from, like, the House on American uh, Activities trials in Congress. He's a real jerk. And there was also an Asian flu outbreak during the time and the adoption of Daylight Savings Time. Those were all in the running for Stories of the Year. Well, big stories. You can see why Gein might have won. Yes. Not too stiff of competition that year. <laughs> uh, now, Ed is doing well in, ho- in the hospital when he gets there. He's finally like feeling better. He gains weight because he's eating more food. And, uh, yeah, he, he says that he's very happy there. Now, Ed's house and the whole property are eventually 
going to be put up with auction for auction. All of the possessions in the house were also going to be auctioned off. Well, now, which now, possessions? <laughs> whatever's there, I guess, that wasn't part of the crime scene. Okay. So just junk and shit lying around. But who the hell knows? They might have missed something, right? Unfortunately, or fortunately, on the early morning of March 20th that year, the house is destroyed by a fire, and it pretty much looks like it was arson. Ed's response to finding out that his house has burned down is him shrugging and saying, just as well. I mean, I think it's a good idea. I think it's a good thing that the house burned down, because there were sort of rumors that someone was going to turn it into like a um, house of horrors and charge admission to go in. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. Now, there was also... In this auction, they did auction off his car. It was a 1949 Ford sedan that was seen. That was the car he was driving the day of Bernice's murder. He was seen driving that around town. This got into a bidding war with four, 14 people bidding on it. Um, I, I only wanted to tell this story mainly because in the end, the person who uh, <laughs> won the auction was identified as the Koch brothers the, or the Cook Brothers or the Cook Brothers, but no one said the Cock Brothers. <laughs> Coke Brothers. Spelled, yes. Spelled like the Coke Brothers. Yes. Now it's pronounced Coke. Yes. But I was, was it one of the Coke Brothers? No, it wasn't. It wasn't even a Coke, Cock, Cook, or Cock <laughs> Brother. No matter how you say it, it was purchased by a man named Bunny Gibbons, who was a carnival sideshow operator. He bought the car that Ed supposedly used to haul victims in and he made replicas of Ed and his mom to put in the car and charged people 25 cents to see it. What could, did they get to ride in the car? No, they just got to look at it. Well, I would imagine, you know, you would let the patrons pose, (laughs) sit in the car with them, like in the back seat maybe. I don't know. Maybe that would have been more money or maybe people didn't want to go in. I don't know. So, by the way, like on this property throughout the years, they would do things like excavate or dig up for like farming things and would find more remains that <gasps> were just buried on the property. Like a few, at least two incidents of that. Um, so yeah, it was a creepy spot. Now in 1968, doctors did determine that Gein was now mentally able to participate in the defense like in, during a trial. So he does go on trial again or at least briefly. Now, the guy I mentioned earlier who was vomiting outside of the um, place when they found Bernice's body, his name was uh, Schley, he actually, at some point during the initial questioning, assaulted Gein by banging his head and face into a brick wall. And that was what led to Gein's initial confession being ruled inadmissible, even though the attack had nothing to do with coercing a confession. Well, that, well, well, wait a minute. How did that have nothing to do with coercing a confession? It was just him beating the shit out of Gein for no reason. Like, he wasn't doing it to get the confession. He was so traumatized by what he found that when he saw Gein, he, like, fucking beat him up, basically. Right. It wasn't directly... So it wasn't during a questioning or to get a confession. He was just, like, lost it, basically. Um, but it man, it got the... It got it ruled inadmissible regardless because no one really knew what happened. This guy dies, though, before the trial starts in 1943. Uh, Wait, he, 1943? I'm sorry, at the age of 43 in 1968. So he dies of a heart attack before he was supposed to be a big witness at the trial. He dies. People who know him blame Gein for this, saying that he was so traumatized by what had happened that it like weakened his heart. 
<laughs> I don't know how, if you can like lay that on him. But uh, the trial begins November 7th, 1968. It only lasts one week. A psychiatrist testifies. Gein does testify. The judge basically, it's like a judge, not a jury trial. It's like a judge trial where he makes the decision. He basically finds Gein guilty um, of murder. And he says that he is um, insane, though, and puts him back in the mental hospital. So he never goes to jail. He goes back to the hospital, which is good because he is pretty happy there. Um, he does try to get out, though, in 1974, I think, or when he's 74. He does try to, like, make a play to get out, but they're like, no. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he dies at the Mendata Mental Health Institute due to respiratory failure caused by lung cancer in 1984 at the age of 77. He is buried. He was buried next to his mother. But uh, he definitely had the souvenir seekers chipping off pieces of his gravestone. And his body, I think, wasn't um, moved at some point. And now he's in an unmarked grave so that no one can chip off that, get that little souvenir. Or exhume his body. Ooh, that would be the ultimate revenge. The circle of life. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, as we mentioned, I mean, Psycho is often considered one of the sort of the precursor to the slasher films that happened, I guess, did those start happening in the 70s pretty much? Yeah. I mean, I would say that the slasher genre starts in the 70s, but Psycho really is the proto-slasher. And I did read a lot about people really saying, like, this is just, his story is so (laughs) influential on the horror genre in general, like thinking of Psycho and then what it led to, and then other films obviously also being inspired by this story. Um, one thing mentioned in this book that was sort of, they presented as being proof of his, um, ongoing hold on the horror community was something that was sold in Fangoria magazine. It was a t-shirt with Ed Gein on it that said to the guy who started it all, (laughs) oh, sorry, the guy who got it all started. And then on the back, it said in bloody bones and body parts, Ed Gein lives. I mean, he really did start a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, he started a lot of tropes, certainly, in horror fiction. Yeah. Like, he influenced. Well, and then you have to, everything he influenced then influenced other things. So it's just like this, like, ongoing thing that he kind of started. But yeah, I mean, to think about, you think of Psycho as more like um, a classic film, I think, and not like a slasher film. Like, I don't think many people think of it that way, right? Well, but that, well, that it had, like, in, influenced all of those later movies yeah. is uh, pretty wild because he, it's all him, this weirdo guy. People say Black Christmas is the first slasher. Oh, I just saw that. It's a good one. I liked it very much. <laughs> I, really, I really like Black Christmas. It's a, uh, where is it up right now? It's on Shudder. It's also on Criterion. Right, that's right. Um, but the the other wild thing, though, is he was not a slasher. No. like So the character of Norman Bates, obviously, based on him, it turned it into another thing. And I think that's where a lot of misconceptions about Ed Gein's crimes come from, you know? Well, just like that people say he's a serial killer when technically you got to kill three people. Is that the rule, three? Yes. You got to kill three people before you're considered a serial killer. Is there no other um, criteria? Like, does it have to be... It usually it's like I feel like there has to be a psychological like impulse well, too, right? Well, then there's the difference between a serial killer and a spree killer. Right. A spree killer is someone like who uh, kills a bunch in one. 
a bunch in a short period like of time. Like Charles Starkweather. A bunch in a short time. Yeah. Like Charles Starkweather and what's her name? What was the girl's name? Carol Fugate. Carol Fugate. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he... Serial killers don't fit that criteria because they have like their rituals and they wait periods of time. Right. There's like a cooling off period. But he did have that trance-like state. The at, trance-like state? Yeah, right. that a lot of killers talk about. I, I wonder what would have happened if he didn't get caught. Would he have... I mean, it's just interesting because it seems like his M.O. was more grave robbing. And he didn't seem particularly good at the murder part. Well, you know he got, what I mean? he like, got caught so he quickly. Got caught. He didn't even try to cover it up, though. Like most serial killers make an attempt early on, at least, to kind of cover their tracks a bit. Just, and then they get sloppy at the end sometimes. Right. Like, yeah. I just, I just do think the MO is so different. That, that makes it so odd to me that he did kill these two women because... I mean, he just happened. I mean, may, but he could have gone on to kill more women because he could have conceivably thought, oh, this woman's, woman's also evil. Right. And I have to kill her. Yeah. I feel like he could have possibly been a serial killer, even if it was always sort of never his plan, right? Like he gets these weird impulses. That's like a yeah. disorganized yeah. serial killer. I mean, he clearly, though, was mentally ill. And had a lot of suffering going on and fucked up. Like, in addition to the schizophrenia, he has this fucked up mom relationship. He lives in squall. Like, like just so many things fell on him. Like I said before, this guy never stood a chance. Yeah. We, so, we will never know if it's nurture or nature with this guy. He's just such a one-of-a-kind case that it's just endlessly fascinating. Do you like my Ed Gein picture on the wall behind me? Oh, I didn't even know that was him. I got oh, this. Oh, the hermit. Yeah. I, it's, <laughs> it's like a tarot. It's a postcard that yeah. I got at the Museum of Death, and it's a like a tarot card type thing um and it's a picture it's a drawing of ed gein robbing a grave and it says the hermit i like that art it's good art and then i also have gacy next to him gacy i recognize yeah he's pretty recognizable yeah (laughs) (laughs) who else looks like a big fat clown look if you have a big fat clown on your your wall i know who it is right that's (laughs) gacy the gate the the gein one is more subtle i like that i like the gein one it would be fun to create tarot cards of serial killers or like any or killers, or just weird people, even like like macabre people or macabre, something. Yeah. macabre tarot cards. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's the end of that story. Wow, Desi, that was a lot of reading. Uh, and I really, like I said in our last episode, like I could talk about Ed Gein all day. I find him fascinating for many reasons. Obviously, his crimes are horrific. Yeah, and just fucking gruesome. But I think he is. He's kind of a tragic figure. Like he's a very tragic figure, and like of all the people we've talked about, there's like a part of me that does have sympathy for him. Just like this awful life he had, and was never offered any sort of treatment. Like, do you know what I mean? Like nothing was ever offered to him to help deal with any just, of this stuff. It's, it's just like fucked up all around. Because then it's like, ugh, like he the way he horrifically like murdered these two women and then desecrated the graves of all these no, it's women. So awful. It's just like everything about everything about his story is like awful from top to bottom. Yeah. Like there's no happiness whatsoever in his story. It's just so dark. It's such a dark life just from the very beginning. Yeah. Just like from the moment he was born, his mom was like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then she just fucking ruined these boys. Like, 
I mean, there was na- obviously the nature nurture thing, but she definitely had a huge part in it for sure. Well, I she think. was a very abusive woman. Yeah. Um, it's really fucked up. And it is so wild, like how you said, like how just the ripple effect of his story influencing so much art throughout the years. Yeah. That no, just hearing these details, it's like, oh, they like th- that's even whether or not it's consciously inspired by like the scene where the investigators are in the dark in his apartment is like right. that it reminds me. It was me- like this blueprint for horror to come. Like, do you know what I mean? There was just so many elements in it that you can see like these young boys and women who end up loving horror and creating horror movies hearing about this story and like it really triggering their imagination in like a kind of ghoulish way. Well, you have to, you have to wonder how much body horror isn't influenced by Ed Gein. Cause this is the ultimate body horror. I mean, it's yeah. Just like these obsessions that he had just, yeah. I don't know. It's so gruesome. It's disgusting. (laughs) It really is gross. But I could talk about the nipple belt forever. It's just like, it's almost so gruesome. It doesn't seem real. Like sometimes when I look at the pictures and there are tons of pictures online that you can easily find, you just see it and it's like, what is in your brain (laughs) that makes you even think of this shit? Like, right. It's so, just thinking of him alone in that house doing this shit is just so fucking grim. Like, it's so awful. It's also weird to me, like whenever I read stories like this, like obviously murder, we all know is like a crime. It's surprising to me that grave robbing is not that big of a crime. Like it's a crime, but you're not going to jail necessarily for a very long time for doing that. But I'd be like, kind of like, we need to keep our eye on the grave robbers. I'm sorry. Like, you know what? If you're, if you're digging up a corpse that's been in the ground, something's going on. Yeah, like I want that person in jail over someone who smoked pot. Like, well, I, I don't. I mean, I want them, you know, checked on. Yeah, I don't. I don't want them in jail necessarily. So much as I want them, you know, like, hey, what's go? Hey, Lucas, what's going on? Yeah, I just find that to be a disturbing crime with a low, you know, punishment value or something, or just like, uh, let's explore what this is really all about. Yeah. No, it's very weird. Because also then if people are robbing graves, sometimes people are robbing graves for like, um, you know, to cover up a crime maybe also, something else. There's like a multitude of reasons, but it's definitely like... They're never good. Well, it's always like robbery or something, but it's like, come on, just go rob a a regular live person. Go rob a Walmart. It's just kind of like, can you imagine? That would be my last resort, I have to say. Like if I was like, I'm going to rob... Someone, I'd probably do a few other things before I went to the graveyard to try to get some wedding rings or something. Usually I'm concerned that the reason someone's robbing a grave is because they want to fuck them or because they want to make a suit. There were some gruesome necrophilia stories in the book that I didn't get into because they didn't involve Ed. Like, he never did that, apparently. Well, maybe that should be our mini episode. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) But let me just tell one, in case I don't do it for the mini, one was someone who robbed a grave he was like a necrophiliac, but he didn't want to um, fuck them. He just would go down on them. <laughs> I was like, the one time that's a pussy worse. eating is like that's the worse. worst choice. <laughs> that's worse than just fucking the corpse. Can you believe that? I was the, like, that is a uh, no. Smell. I mean, you want to like be like, good for you. <laughs> you eat that pussy. <laughs> you know what? But sometimes guys can take it too far. <laughs> Sometimes too much of a good thing is a bad thing. And that is a bad thing. Yeah, pretty bad. Pretty bad. Ugh. 
So yeah. All right. We'll post another pic. Well, I'm glad we ate dinner before this. Yeah. Not like I'd gain. I can't talk about this while eating. Right. Eating apple pie and dry cheese. <laughs> we did, t- De- Desi and I did talk briefly about doing uh, some kind of ghoulish menu. Oh, yeah. That we want to host a two-person dinner party. Three-person. Brennan's invited. Sure. At some point. Yeah. We'll cook for him. We'll do a dinner party. We'll do a three-person dinner party, and we're going to make a, a very ghoulish meal. Inspired, inspired by our shows. Inspired by our shows. I was thinking, I said, you know, we could do like, um, you know, some of a, like elevated last meals sometimes. Oh, yeah. That we've taught like a, a Gacy's fried chicken and strawberries. Like, oh, oh yeah. Desi, make your strawberry shortcake. Right. And I'll make fried chicken. Okay. We'll do like gourmet versions. We'll do homemade pork and beans. <laughs> this is a very healthy <laughs> With project. apple pie. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, Okay, bye. Uh, Mini episode's going to be late this week, but it will be up there. Okay. Okay, bye-bye.